HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. I travel to Cambria, Santa Maria, and Los Olivos, California in November to visit and speak with Raj Parr in his truck at his Phelan farm, Mike Roth and Craig Winchester from Lo-Fi Wines in their barrel room, and Tom and Peter Stoltman at their Stoltman Vineyards and tasting room. I also asked everyone at the end of the interview to recommend some holiday wines. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Raj Parr needs no introduction. He is the proprietor and winemaker at Domaine Delacote, Sandy, and Evening Land. He has now devoted his life to Phelan Farm through observation and by treating the land with love and respect, ensuring that its vines thrive in tandem with the diverse species of microbes, plants, and animals that compose the ecosystem. His wines will start coming out um, very soon. Over 20 years ago, Tom Stoltman, an attorney from the Bay Area, obsessed with limestone, discovered the site of his dreams in the Central Coast, a perfect place to grow Rhone varietals. Tom now with his son Peter are committed to preserving the natural environment through conscious farming, dry farming, sustainable employment, and practicing minimal intervention in the cellar at Stoltman Vineyards. Mike Roth and Craig Winchester, old college buddies, started Lo-Fi Wines, embracing a nothing-added, nothing-taken-away philosophy that gives birth to wines that are young, vibrant, and alive. They use neutral barrels, native yeast, little to no sulfur additions, no adjustment of pH, 
along with whole cluster fermentation and carbonic maceration. Their easy drinking lower alcohol wines are made to pair well with all types of food from pizza to pate. We speak with Raj Parr first, then Tom and Peter Stoltman, and finally Mike and Craig from Lo-Fi. Enjoy. And we came here, saw the property, fell in love, and then uh, since then, I started to uh, graft different things uh, slowly. Uh, some of my favorite varieties from from uh, from Europe, and started kind of making these blends in my head, and hopefully it worked out. And so we continue doing that. Starting at 17, we still have a little bit more work to do. Uh, and then when the pandemic hit, uh, I decided to personally lease this property and kind of go all in uh, um, on the property with uh, the farming aspect and making the wine and kind of keeping a closed loop uh, from inputs in the vineyard to, uh, you know, animals and cover crop and just, uh, just the basic principles of regenerative farming. Um, and 21 was the first first cycle where I I started farming it uh, myself last October and then now we are a year later uh, you say you were farming it yourself it's fairly literal because it was you and one other guy right you know when you think about vineyards you see people in the fields and you know the whole crew I mean this is really a personal project yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely. Uh, I wanted to see how much work it took uh, for one person and, and how many hours it would take. Exceeded what you thought? Certainly not less. Yeah, no, definitely exceeded. I definitely had to uh, ask for help um, several times during the season because I couldn't catch up. Um, right. And uh, if, you know, when someone says I farm it myself, it's. It's not literal, because sometimes it is literal, but you sometimes need people to help you with things if things go out of control, like if the shoots are just growing fast and you can cut them, right. or, or if uh, when you're pruning, you know, you better allocate, you know, six weeks to pruning if you do it yourself. So... You know, maybe longer, depending. Do you feel like, so you have to understand everything going on and get into a certain kind of rhythm, in a sense, right? Do you feel you're there? Oh, no, no, just just, just starting. It's like... It is. Okay. It's like a dance with Mother Nature. Yep. And uh, it takes two to tango, literally, because... Uh, and you always follow. So when you're farming, you know, I know that we use the word sometimes, you know... Uh, progressive farming or let's do it before it happens and that kind of stuff right uh, but that is not always the case because if you think you're fast and oh yeah let me just beat beat mother nature to the punch and get it done before she does something she will come back with something even stronger right to kind of combat what you just did so you so you have to really kind of take the cues from what's happening by looking at things in the vineyard and, um, you know, as we look at vines, we just look at a plant growing. Uh, but now the one good thing in 
with technology and with with all the research uh, is like you know how you kind of measure the nutrient uptake of plants how you do the right there's you more know, information yeah available. plant tissue samples and the sap analysis and leaf analysis and water stress so there's a lot of things you can do and our goal here is to do that naturally with with cover crops and and compost tea sprays and and fermented sprays and and things like that which which kind of allow diversity in the vineyard because uh, yeah you showed us a medicinal garden and orchard which you're going to use for treatments down the road correct yeah yeah so we, we've we've all contained I, yeah so I, I took a bunch of different seeds of different herbs and flowers and plants and kind of just sprinkle them around the apple orchard and and you know some might some might uh, produce something this year some might be next year right you also have to be patient yeah so we'll harvest them and dry them and use them in our in our treatments in our what our own kind of our own tisan you know our own right because we kind of ferment these with uh, with the ocean water because we are out of the Pacific and there's salt in the water of course for the fermentation yeah so we ferment ferment most of our sprays and then yeah so let me ask you a question you know I've been doing the podcast throughout the pandemic and it was hard for that not to be a topic, whether you were a sommelier, winemaker, importer. Um, in your case, it, the pandemic was kind of life-changing. You, we wouldn't necessarily be sitting here in a truck coming away, you know, from a farm you're farming if there wasn't a pandemic. Isn't that wasn't that a real possibility? Yeah, no, hundred percent. No, if there was no pandemic, I would have not sat down and thought about my life and made these conscious changes. Um, so, and, and not that I couldn't have done it without a pandemic, but pandemic definitely made made me realize that there's more than just uh, the next next bottle of wine or the next meal or the next trip. Well, there's think- more more to more to life and also what you see around right now with with climate change and people all tr- coming together trying to kind of you know find answers and, and I think for me personally this is a very small way of contributing to the much larger issue at hand right is like how are we going to tackle this and every every human being takes it upon themselves to do something to help the planet everyone Every single one. It's going to take everyone to kind of change a little bit. It starts with each of us. Yeah. You know, and we were fortunate enough to witness that at the farm firsthand. Um, so from the pandemic came some great life-changing stuff. Before we go, we're sitting in the truck on a gorgeous November day, driving along the coast. Um, as the holidays come upon us, um, tell me what you drink, or what are some good things to think about to drink about for the hol- to drink for the holidays. Yeah, you know. So now here, I mean, we are in California, so we are kind of lucky. We don't, 
we'll still have lots of sunshine in the winter. And right. It'll get, it'll get, you know, it'll get cold, but it's not going to snow. It might get, you know, might get to freezing, but not below. So, you know, our drinking is different. Right. I think globally, I, mean, I personally will drink maybe somewhat uh, hardier, uh, hardier wines, not hardy as in tannin, but something just more. So, give me some rich. examples. You know, I, I drink a lot of Nebbiolo between between November and March. At our home, we drink a lot of Nebbiolo. All kinds. All Marolo, kinds. Barbaresco. Yeah. You know, it's, it's stuff from the everything. So we have, we have, you know, all kinds of different. Uh, you know, Piedmont is definitely a big part. Um, and then, and then whites. You know, we'll kind of, you know, we drink a lot of Sagua whites. You know, it's like something. Yeah. Else, you know, you know, Rousset or Altesse or you know maybe Jacquet. Are those? So. Are those a little? I'm searching for the word richer or yeah, slightly more unctuous, but not right. Not, and not good heavy. for the seasonal, not seasonal change, yeah. but to match yeah. up the more and of full course, body. And of course, there's you know the festivities. The champagne is always a big part. Right. We can't leave champagne. A big part of of what what we're doing and and uh, yeah, no, it's it's a. Uh, it's a good mix, you know. It's it's it's, it's a nice are, mix, and of course, you know, we can't we can't leave some, you know, we drink Beaujolais and some Jura, and then uh, you know, yep. if you can find some good Burgundy at the right price, well, that, that may be <laughs> the biggest challenge. But all the other recommendations are good, and one of the cool things is as we were on Failing Farms, we saw some Gamay planting. We were brought to the site where you're going to be planting Nebbiolo. Yeah. So that's exciting that that's going to come out of your vineyards. All right, Raj, thank you for giving us a tour of the farm. Thank you for spending time with us. I know you have a very busy schedule. We want to wish you a happy and a healthy holiday season. And we look forward to tasting your wines. Thank you. I'm with Tom Stoltman. We are at Villa Angeli. Angeli. Angeli, thank you. Um, and we are here on a gorgeous day overlooking the vineyards. Um, Tom was gracious enough to let us take a look around. Um, Tom, just quickly, and I, I know that it takes longer than quickly, but just give me the elevator, not pitch, but the story on Stoltman. Well, the story of Stoltman is really a story of limestone and climate. And the limestone, we have about two to three feet below us. You can see those big chunks over there. Your listeners can. Yep. But those came from the excavation for the villa. And the limestone soil, limestone and wine are magical together. As Alberto Antonini used to say, they lend both elegance and austerity at the same time and preserve the acid levels. And then the other factor here, although we're 400 miles south of Napa, we're cooler than anywhere in Napa, except the far southern part along San Pablo Bay, because of the Pacific Current brings cold water down the coast, and it hits warmer water off of Point Conception, which creates a lot of turbulence, which morning, morning fog, cool nights, 
uh, was 30 to 40 degree diurnal change every day. So that's the perfect convergence of climate and I don't know if terroir is the right word, but soil. Yeah. Right. And that's something you didn't stumble on. Were you looking? Oh, yeah. I started looking for exploring the idea in about 85. And then I read interviews of Josh Jensen from Clara Winery. And any guy who names his winery after his soil is my kind of guy. Right, right, right. So um, anyway, I loved his wines. And so I started actually going to the library. That's how long ago this was. To uh, read up on it and why limestone, you know, not from a journalist's perspective or a winemaker, but try to learn more about it. So you, you're wines are mostly Rhone varietals, although you make a dozen you know, varietals. But uh, would it be fair to say the wheelhouse is Syrah? And, we know, have other... of 174 acres, over 100 are Syrah. Okay. And we have different Syrahs. People never re- really recognize Syrah as being terroir reflected the way we think of Pinot Noir, but we found it really is. So the limestone and the is and then it diff- a different sun ex- climate. Yeah, very well, very it is cool. Perfect yeah. for. And then the sun exposure of the rows, the clones that we have. We have a lot of plants on their own roots because we found that in this arid climate, last year we only got eight inches of rain. Uh, we we don't have a problem with phylloxera mutating or developing through the stages it needs to go to be a flying insect, and so we're able to um, uh, plant on our own roots which especially with Syrah is we found to be very important. Right. right. Um, you're going to have to, you and Peter are going to have to come on the show one day. This requires a lot more discussion, but I just, you know, I thank you for letting us come by and, you know, giving us a little insight. Um, we're approaching the holiday season and I always love to ask guys like you, what should we be drinking for the holidays? Well, you know, in the old days, my Thanksgiving wines were uh, uh, white burgundies and red burgundies. Now it's that's because you're a fancy pants lawyer. No, no, it's because I love the wines. But also go into Christmas and New Year's too, not just Thanksgiving. But anyway, so now it's uh, uh, Roussan or Viognier or both, and then uh, uh, some of our high-end wines like La Croce or Anjali. Uh, La Croce is a co-fermented blend of Syrah and Sangiovese, the only oh, place nice. in the world where they ripen at the same time nice. as here. Um, and then over the holidays, it's you know sometimes it's fun, like our sparkling trousseau is mm. always fun fun Love to have. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know holiday meals are so versatile depending on who you're visiting, whether. Uh, you know, it's Hanukkah or Christmas right. or, you know, everybody has different things. So you, you think talking, about the wines with the food. You're talking brisket yeah. and turkeys and roasts, yeah. you know, so you so can Sange, Sange, Italian wines go well with everything. And our Sangiovese is uh, spectacular. A lot of people in New York back 15, 20 years ago, used to, they wouldn't buy it, but they'd say it's the best Sangiovese they tasted from the new world. I have to try it. Yeah. Well, that's... Tom Stoltman, thank you for uh, letting us in, letting us in in your world. Thank you for those recos, and I hope we can talk again soon. Let's do it. All right. I'm here with Peter Stoltman from Stoltman Vineyards. We had a chance to talk to Peter's dad earlier, Tom Stoltman, 
and we're sitting with Peter in downtown downtown Los Olivos um, at the tasting room, at the Stoltman tasting room. And I wanted to ask Peter a bunch of questions. So your dad gave us sort of the elevator pitch of, you know, how Stoltman came about. But you came into the business in the mid-2000s, right? 2006? Yeah, I began training in 06 and took over the company in 09. So give me that quick journey, that, that, that journey in wine and life that got you to this. When you go backwards, you were doing wine before this. Tell me some of the things you were doing, distribute or sales. You work in Australia. Just get me up to speed on that. Yeah, I quit my, my real job in L.A., uh, moved to Australia for the 06 vintage, uh, landed there after surfing for a month in Molokai, Hawaii, uh, kind of February 1st, uh, jumped into Shiraz. Um, you know, a lot of technique that we don't employ on our vineyard, uh, just shooting for the opposite style of, of what we're doing at So Stolen. to clarify, those were big, unctuous wines. Your style is of more restrained. Like yeah. a grape, you know, don't push the ripeness. Right. Yeah, we were picking really ripe and then <clears throat> dialing back that ripeness uh, with different techniques in, in the winery. We try and be totally hands-off in the winery and uh, pick with uh, balance. You know, I want my wines to be yummy. Um, they need to be coating. They need to have texture, but I want them to be alive and have energy, too. So we joke that I was sent to Australia to learn how not to make <laughs> right. Syrah. Um, That's but, a good exercise. Well, these days, there are a lot of great Syrahs coming from Australia. The the curve they went is, through. Right. They got shut down, and now they're coming back, making the right kind of wine. Definitely, yeah. Then uh, I went over to Italy and worked for Alberto Antonini and Chianti, making very traditional Sangiovese, you know, Chianti Reservas, Chiantis, and came home and got a job at Henry Wine Group, and that was the most pivotal pivotal um, training work I did. Um, as far as that learning the business side, well, that was learning what wines people wanted, what was compelling, what was relevant. Um, you know, when you have a great portfolio of wines, including Kermit Lynch, a bunch of great domestic producers, uh, you realize very quickly as a, as a sales rep, what wines do a lot of accounts buy, what wines do, do actually get reordered and don't just sit on the list or the shelf. And you take note of that and, you know, you look for wines that have similar traits, price points, quality for the value, packaging, and taking over then in 2009, uh, I was a little bit pent up in that. I just said, you know, kind of. Wait, so oh, go ahead. hold there for a second. Yep. 2009 at Stoltman, your dad was here and there were other people, Ruben. 2009, you officially took over. Right. So now you're calling the shot. Well, it was interesting. I mean, or a was, lot of the shots. It was the heart of the recession. Our uh, previous bank decided not to renew our credit lines with the heat they were under. Um, I had to get the company refinanced. We're in default from our old bank. A lot of distractions. Yeah, dad was uh, going under a year of uh, cancer treatment, chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. So he was out of commission. So. I look back on that year and a half and, until we finally did get refinanced in August 2010. It's a trial by fire. Uh, it was kind of a 50-50 shot. I mean, Ruben, our vineyard manager and the godfather to my kids, I mean, he offered me a personal loan to cover payroll. Uh, really? Just as he knew I didn't have Jesus. credit lines. You know? That's and, some tight time, yeah, man. And, um, and, but we did it. 
and um, thank God just paid my bills for a year and a half as far as you know running our, our actual little house and I maxed out all my credit line or my credit cards and um, but we hit our, our forecast and we got a new bank to, to finance us and now we've never looked back and the really cool thing is that my dad looked at what I'd done and said okay run with it and um, uh, you know, so that- let's let's talk about what you did because we had the opportunity to walk through the vineyards, and there is a big focus towards tradition. You know, we were throwing names like Clap and Versailles around, and you know, you guys are big Ronist guys. Um, tell me about the things you know that you started doing when you had the chance to really take a breath and get down to the business of making wine. Right. Well, it took a minute, right? You don't just in the wine business, you don't just bounce back from from hard times immediately right. but uh, by 2012 we invested in concrete fermenters we thought we could make better uh, traditional reds with with concrete um, 2014 uh, Raj came to me and asked to partner with me in uh, what we call comb today uh, that part C-O-M-B-E, yep, yep. which is one of your wine brands. Right. Um, and that started with Trousseau, a pet nat, and a really light chilled red. Um, 2016. Did you have to be sold on that, or that sounded like a cool idea? Actually, you? I did. You did? Um, <laughs> you know, Raj brought Ruben and I a really bready, funky Trousseau from Jura, <laughs> and it kind of tasted like tires. And um, Ruben looked at me like, what the heck? Um <laughs> But then we tried some truth sauce we really liked, and Raj, Raj basically made it a no-brainer. You know, like if if <laughs> Earl the Great Dane is, wants to be interviewed, he's nuzzled up to the microphone. Um, Earl gets whatever he wants. Right. Out, Earl. Um, and you know, Raj believed in it so much. He, he basically was going to make it. Um, you know, he, he was going to make it happen no matter what. Basically, like, if I ended up not liking the wine, he could take it into a different program. Right. And I ended up loving the wine. And uh, I'm really proud to have that what partnership. What year was that? 2014 was our first vintage. And the funny thing about Trousseau is that in the vineyard, Ruben and the crew hated it. Um, they call it Bastardo in Portugal because right. it's a very ugly cluster, very... But why uh, did they colored. hate it? Because they just weren't used to it or it wasn't their style? It, it, I mean, they were just pushing away. The cluster is ugly. Like, oh, we're right. so used to... I mean, Sanchevesi takes a long time to go through variation completely. You know, but eventually colors up completely. Syrah in three days, it goes from green to purple. Bastardo, Trousseau, never gets fully colored. And, nev- and in 14, we're kind of like, you know, we picked for Pet Nat, and then we're waiting, you know, maybe just, you know, another 0.5 bricks to pick. It was hovering around 22 bricks. And we came out, you know, the next morning, and you could smell the sour rot, oh, even at God. 22. And like, we are oh, in an arid environment, right? I can only imagine what happens in, in Jura. Maybe it was a learning curve with actually you know, tending to the truth. So to make sure we're limit, you know, we're getting better airflow for the cluster. And so we haven't had that issue again. Um, but you know, in, in the harvest of 2014, the crew, the crew was just like, what the heck did that's crazy. PD and Raj plant. That's crazy. Um, but, but now we all love the but wine. Kudos to you for, you know, pushing ahead and doing different things, you know, not necessarily traditional, you know, stuff, even though, what is it about? More than half of your vineyards are planted to Syrah. Yep. I mean, you're doing a dozen other varietals. Yeah, 15 total varietals. I mean, we just, we're sitting here doing a tasting. The first three, four wines were white, Chenin Blanc. You saw in Chardonnay. Yeah, you know, all great stuff and everything. 
And recently you made a Syrah. What was it? The 2019 Great Places August James. Right. Uh, which Galoni loved that, which is a validation of the type of wines that you're making. Yeah, and that, that was huge for me because that, that project And it's began, also named after yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, a big deal, right? I, obviously, I believe in it a lot, and it was cool that Galoni, you know, he called it the best wine we've ever made. And I mean, the amount of resources and time we've put into propagating just 50 special cuttings to the full two acre block that we have now then to to have Galoni just you know kind of have his jaw drop and demand to be shown the vineyard and shown the clusters and just how loose and tiny the clusters are and Galoni asked me uh, what are you going to do when every winemaker in California comes to you wanting to buy that strain and you know i think i have to say well this is a deal between my family and our, right. our friends and, and there ain't um, enough anyway yeah and, and it, it's it, very well, it's uh it's really special and and to me it's just so intimate i mean i've named both of my sons after this you know parcel um and looking at the clusters reuben knew even before we picked and fermented the wine that it was totally different than any clone even any other preclonal strain we had in the vineyard um and just bone rooted on our limestone uh it gets next level it's great um one last thing um it's definitely unique certainly admirable but the way you run your business your employees are part of the company the family um, explain that to me because that's not a frequent occurrence in the wine business it's probably actually you know I'm, I'm proud of all of the new projects and you know certainly the wines we're making today I think are better than they've ever been but the thing I'm most proud of uh, is what my dad uh, started um, and Ruben carried out. You know, my dad always said if his dream of beginning a vineyard, planting a vineyard, owning a vineyard was to come true, uh, it would positively affect everybody involved. And that meant not employing migrant labor, of actually employing people full time so they could live locally, their families could have stability. And started with 15 people planting our original vineyards, and now we're up to 30 people. Everybody is full time. And uh, Ruben, back in the day, started a training project where he would give the crew their own quadra, their own block of vineyard, so they would become the farmer and not the worker. Uh, when he told my dad about it, my dad loved it and wanted to give the crew their own wine so they could take pride in it and learn to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Um, and then once we survived uh, the 09 recession, Ruben demanded that Jess and I go down to Jalisco and meet the crew's extended family, his wow. family. I mean, Ruben's the, the youngest of 11. His wife, oh, Lupe, is the youngest out of, or second youngest out of 10. Huge family, some amazing parties. And I was hit by how much my dad's decision just to give people a good job year-round impacted tenfold the number of our employees. And now that we had survived the, the economic crisis, I told Ruben, you know, late one night drinking Fortaleza tequila, hey, one day, or, you know, one day Quadria, the program, is going to have way more of an impact. Let's make it 10% of our production. Let's blend in more wine to, to the little Quadra. Um, so we'd been only making the profiteering wine from the training block. We went home. We had 09 wine in barrel. We redid all the blends so that the Quadria blend could expand to 10% of our production, and that's the way it goes today. So from the estate, as the estate has grown, um, still 10% at the minimum of our 
red wine goes into the Porteria blend and all the profits go back divided by seniority to our 30 full-time workers and actually uh, got in another three weeks from yesterday we'll have our profit sharing party under our big oak tree oh, that's great and um, it's just a happy and for happy us day. one of the nice things was we toured the vineyards and we got to see everybody's little plot you know so it's sort of the tangible reality right. was right there. and it's such a beautiful place as you saw it, yeah it just makes it all the more special i mean i'll post pictures um all right finally we're going into the holidays let's look beyond thanksgiving because we'll probably um, air this after thanksgiving but talk about holiday wines what should we be drinking and it relates to you and what you make and what you like, you know. So, I mean, the answer certainly could be self-serving. I mean, I think Syrah goes with a lot of holiday meats, roast, hams, brisket for Hanukkah, you know, all that stuff. Tell, give me some good ideas. Well, to me, number one with the holidays, you have special occasions where you want to pop something special, something that you, you, know, you want to enjoy something um, with with your loved ones uh but number two in california the weather has finally gotten cold like all summer long i drink true so i drink so that gamay. changes what you're drinking right and it's finally like the fur coat well, fur coat out right it's finally syrah weather right and and you can pop a syrah uh you know you feel like popping a syrah in the afternoon letting it breathe for the evening um and yeah so you know we do we do get high on our own supply here um because we are so proud of 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 the wines we're making so it's finally the time of year where I'm drinking our high-end Syrahs, like the great places. Right. Uh, but it's also the time when we begin to dig into our, nor- our northern Rhone wines. And uh, I've been going uh, heavy on a, on a few. Well, really the last one that I can actually afford um, is Monier Perial, Saint-Joseph. Um, uh, you know, I'm going deep on the 18s, waiting for the 19s. They, well, make, they make good value. Well, I one, mean, one, of, one of the last wines that I can't, can still oh, okay. uh, afford. Right, Sorry. right, right. That and then, I agree um, with that. And my boy Frankie B, Frank Balthazar, um, and it, he, still, he still is creating amazing wine at great value in the appellation of Cornas. I agree. And then, uh, and then, you know, when Jess and I are home alone, uh, maybe break out the good stuff. Maybe, you know, the day before Christmas Eve or the, or, or, or December 29th, you know, uh, pop out, you know, a bottle of, uh, Alaman Chaillot or, Grand Place. you know, I can't get to that stuff. So I pop open the Gonans. Oh, I got it. Yeah. I mean, Gonans right up there. Yeah. Which are not crazy yet. Uh, we, we t- well, they're they're going up and up and up. Yeah. And, and you're right. You can't get enough. They're not bottles yeah. on the internet. Yeah. So those are some good recos. Obviously, uh, you know, the holidays bring a certain type of eating. You're seeing some uh, weather change, so you're going into those, you know, delicious northern wines. All right. I want to thank Peter Stoltman from Stoltman Vineyards. I want to thank your dad, Tom, for giving us the opportunity to tour the vineyards, which are absolutely gorgeous. And then we took a drive down to the tasting room of Los Olivos, and we got to taste a bunch of some some really great wines. So thank you for everything. My pleasure. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation 
all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm here at Lo-Fi Wines. I am in Santa Maria, California. I am here with Craig and Mike. They are the proprietors and the principals of Lo-Fi. We are in their barrel room, and we've tasted probably 8, 10 wines, half of them out of the barrel and probably the other half um, out of the bottle. Um, so first of all, thank you guys for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to finally meet up with you guys. Um, give me the quick story, um, why the two of you are together, how that happened, and how did Lo-Fi come about? Well, we went to college together. And we, okay. We, we were in the same fraternity. All right, so you were fraternity guys. Yeah. It's kind of different than the way I perceive you now. Yeah. You well, know, it was kind of a hippie, <laughs> hippie fraternity. Oh, it was hippie yeah. fraternity. Okay. That kind of makes sense. Animal House. It was Animal House and all that. Um, um, so I think we talked about this off air, but there was no uh, inkling or discussion of making wine back way then? back then. No. So Not in the least. What, what happens after college? Do you guys stay friends, stay in touch, yeah. or do you go off and do your own thing and come back together? Or We lived uh, next to each other after college, and um, then... Uh, Moved out moved to out Wyoming. West. Yeah. Moved out okay. to Wyoming together, and, and so then you, Craig stayed you, in Wyoming. You hung as friends for a while. Yeah. So then, tell me the moment or the time or the place where this wine idea thing happens. I got into wine with another friend of ours from college, and then moved out to California. And uh, that's Mike. So you yeah. did before you, Craig, right? He correct. He ended up north. Northern California. Right. Um, was that Gurgage or there was something before I that? Saddleback and Gurgage. Okay. Yeah. In Napa. And in El Molino. In El Molino, yeah. Legendary. Yeah. Reg Oliver. My son's named after Reg Oliver. Oh, really? Yeah. For legendary Reg Shard Reg and uh, Pinot yeah, Maker, yeah. right? Okay. So when, what year or when does it materialize that, hey, we got to do this? So I, I lived, I made wine up in Sonoma and Craig came out to work harvest. And that was what, 2000? 2000, 2001. 2000, 2001. Yeah. So, so Craig came out. He was living in Wyoming. Uh, but wait. So, hey, Craig, why don't you come out and do Harvest? Nothing exactly. to do. Just like to be together in an activity. Nothing Correct. to do with like, yeah. hey, I want to get into Well, my- I was a ski bum. So it was okay. in between <laughs> seasons. So I was like, well, okay. I can come out and work Harvest. <laughs> this makes s- sense. Save a bunch of money and then go <laughs> skiing all winter. Yeah, and not have to work. And I don't have to work as much. So did the Harvest, was that an enlightening thing? Like, this is kind of cool or it didn't even hit you then? It didn't hit me then. No. Okay. Uh, Mike moved job. down here and then he became the winemaker at Demetria, which is a biodynamic I know uh, Demetria, sure. place. So um, that was a few years later. And then um, I would come down for that and that's kind of when we got more that's into started. like the what, so year, what year was that 2005 2005 was the wow. first vintage i think i came for 2006 Six, you yeah. and louis did 05 yeah 
Wait, so Lo-Fi 2005 was the first? No, no, no. no right. This is at Demetria. Yeah, that's so what I'm moving in towards yeah. the biodynamic right. natural yeah. kind of world. Yeah. Right. So but nobody was buying. You forge your sensibilities <laughs> and your commitment yeah. towards natural and biodynamic. Gergich yeah, well, uh, had 230 acres certified Demeter. And he was certified Demeter? Yeah, yeah. God, so it was, I think it was the largest certified vineyard in the US. That was him. So they did that, like, uh, and, and Gergich's sensibility about wine, they never tried to make big, uh, it was California Chardonnay, and so things, we never watered stuff back, and right. trying to be as frugal as possible is the Gergich way. <laughs> so, um, move ahead a little for me, when does the lo-fi... Well, um, so we, yeah. we, Mike left Demetria and went to Martian. Okay. And... He said, "Do you want to come and be assistant winemaker to me?" So I moved right. here full time. That's I was when like, you I think made twenty years was long enough being full time lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twenty years long enough being a ski bum. Did you wait? <laughs> did you do it because it was a job, or you were like ready? Like I like wine, and let me do this. Well, I thought it'd be good for my knees. And, <laughs> um, not being a dirt right. bag. I that think was, it's time to move on. That was the answer I was yeah. looking for. No, but Craig was good at it. It's not a, you know, it's a chosen profession. I, I had I, done, yeah. yeah, eight, nine harvests Harvest before that. Okay. Ten so, harvests, something like and, that. And a lot of what we do is, um, like, uh, it's a trade in a way, too, is that if you have quality workmanship, the wine kind of shows through, too. And Craig was always really good at making the physical act of making wine. Like, dotting I's and crossing T's is important in this business. And the reason why people have wines that are we messed up or because they don't do those things and perfect partnership yeah you know so you have everything covered good at that, yeah. everything covered so lo-fi officially starts when well we were at martian at the time and um were you like moonlighting or no, no not at all you we, left to no we left no that, that he left demetria yeah. yeah martian we're making the wine and it um kind of fell apart as things do but we had made, um, I don't know, ton a, a ton and a half of Cab Franc that was just going to be personal drinking wine. So the first wine so, was yeah. a Cab yeah, Franc. Yeah, but then Tom at Revel was like, well, we already sell your wine for Martian. We'll just sell that too. That's right. Sure. So yeah, and we just took start. that money and just kept rolling it into the next year after year. So, so it was a hundred, it was year. like a hundred cases the first year and then 300 cases the next year. And everything kept snowballing. Yeah. Now we make 8,000 cases. So this is, you know, this is a unique operation in the sense that you make a lot of different wines and you have a certain philosophy on how you make them. I mean, what is that? I mean, what's the mission? What's the vision? I always thought it was one of the things that I, at Gergich, that I thought that was, uh, um, you know, add a whole bunch of shit to wine. And, and, and to make wine where you pick something really ripe and you add water to it and you have to add acid to it and you add enzymes to it and stuff, is that it's the challenge in that is making wine is pretty minimal because you can fix everything right via chemistry right but what i learned from working with mike and gus was that you know picking the wine at the exact time that you don't have to add water you don't have to add acid you're it's not farming up it. it's not manipulation well, it's 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 a lot of having good farming but it's also that's where you apply your craft is is making something that you don't have to manipulate it i mean it's um it's the difference between making you know say marcelin as cheese or buying craft singles right 
Yeah. So Perhaps you're ma- you're making <laughs> a dozen different kinds of wines, right? I mean, you're making everything from Riesling and Shannon mm-hmm. to Cobb Franc. You mm-hmm. make, you know, uh, Trousseau, yeah. Yeah. Trousseau um, Chardonnay, skin contact mm-hmm. Chardonnay. What? Why do you make what you make? Because that's who you're finding out there and contracting, no, or no, it's your just, curiosities. Yeah, what we like. I More mean, I curiosity. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's what we like. I think we buy a lot of interesting wines, and it's not. Um, and um, so, making wines uh, similar to the things that you do, or a representation of what we have to offer as a growing region versus what they do, like the trousseau, and you know. It, it's Insurance. back yeah. to the how we even started. It's, yeah. We make the wine because that's what we like to drink. Right. Yeah. We're not making it for anybody else. Yeah. For some reason, that <laughs> if other people like it, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and <laughs> Mike, you have vines at your house, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gamay, Cap Franc, and Trousseau. How much are we talking about? Three acres. Wow. Yeah. It's a big yard. Big yard. Yeah. And we tasted a lot of that wines. Um, so that's lo fi wines. <laughs> um, they're incredible quality. Um, the value as far as cost is off the charts. Some people sometimes say the kids like some of this stuff. But that aside, I mean these are these are these are some these are well made, you know, delicious wines. So if you haven't heard of Lo Fi, um, you should look out for them. Before we go, we're approaching the holidays. Tell me what you guys drink for the holidays and what we should be drinking for the holidays. And I'm talking going into New Year's. Uh, of our own wines? Of our own wines. <laughs> you know, it could be self-serving. What do you like? You know, I mean, you have enough wines that if you can't find a lo-fi to pair with a holiday meal, you know, you're... Well, the, the, the Cab Franc mullet, it's has this nice savory quality. And then we have the... Um, so for... Roasted meats, yeah, yeah. like like a Christmas roast, yeah, I mean, hams, like turkey, uh, Hanukkah brisket, yeah, turkey, I'm making, I'm all that stuff for Thanksgiving. There you go. <laughs> and then, and yeah. then we have the um, this uh, Pinot Rosé, sparkling Pinot Rosé. It's really always great. festive. Yeah. Craig always brings library wines for Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, so that's it. This I, better is look, from, I better start looking. This is from your collection. <laughs> Right there. Oh, your 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 lo-fi library. All right, thank you guys for having us. Thank you for letting us taste wines. Thanks for coming. And thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to talk to us. And we only wish you good luck and success. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Give yourself a little Hanukkah or Christmas present and hit that subscribe button, and every week you'll get notified with your uh, weekly Grape Nation. Uh, Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. On Instagram, you can follow us at SBenRuby and on Twitter at BenRuby. I know, a little confusing, but use the hashtag, the Grape Nation, on both to connect to us. Thank you to our guests, Raj Parr, Tom and Peter Stoltman, Mike Roth, and Craig Winchester. Thank you to all our engineers working on the show this year and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.